What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy. I, of course, am Heavy Sports NFL Insider Matt Lombardo. What a week! What a wild week we just had in the NFL. Almost every game going down to the wire, basically a one score margin across the board. You had several teams having to survive. I'm looking at you, Philadelphia. You had several teams in the postseason really struggle. Dallas being one of those teams. And certainly, in my opinion, at least, a changing of the guard at the quarterback position in terms of the elite of the elite moving forward from here. We have a lot to get into. It's going to be a really fun show. We're going to be joined by Los Angeles Rams inside linebacker and captain Bobby Wagner. That's going to be a really fun conversation that I'm really looking forward to. We're going to break down everything that happened, what it means moving forward to the playoff picture, and a whole lot more. But as always, if you enjoy the podcast, if you really like the show, if you're a fan of the analysis and you come back every week for the guests, not only do we appreciate it, but it would mean a lot if you can go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, all of your favorite podcast platforms. And then the Apple Podcast Store, leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you like, maybe a guest or two that you'd like to have on, and we'll go and try to get them in the coming weeks. But those five-star reviews, they really help grow the show. But without further ado, let's move on to a conversation that I am really excited to have. This should be a lot of fun. Joining us on behalf of Bud Light and Bud Light's perfect present program ahead of the NFL's first ever Christmas Day triple header, one of the biggest stars on defense across the NFL, Los Angeles Rams linebacker and captain Bobby Wagner. Bobby, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. So I have to ask, what is the perfect present? Um, I think that's a tough question. I think a lot of people try to figure that out during the holiday season. So I think that's kind of why. Um, you know, I wanted to partner with Bud Light to kind of give them an assist on what the perfect president is. So, you know, we're just giving uh, fans the opportunity to get a game-worn jersey and an opportunity to come watch um, watch us play on Christmas, which I think would be a perfect present. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And, you know, I always remember growing up getting the jersey for Christmas was one of the favorite gifts every single year. So when you were growing up or even in your household today, are there any holiday traditions in the Wagner household that you look back on or that you look forward to every day this year think, playing in a game on Christmas? But, you know, the typical holiday season traditions that you always look forward to? Honestly, I think um, the biggest things was just being around family. But this year, I mean, I'm looking forward to playing on Christmas. I, I mean, I don't – everybody has their own opinion on it, but I remember, like, growing up and watching the Lakers play often on Christmas, and I always wonder how it would be to, to like, win and open up presents. So um, that's what day. I'm trying to do. Yeah. So, you know, this has been a really unique season for you. You've had to acclimate to a whole new organization, a whole new roster, a whole new group of teammates for the first time really in a decade – because you were a mainstay in Seattle, what's been the biggest adjustment for you? I know you've it's home for you, it's L.A., and I know for me personally, not even being from the West Coast, every time I'm in Los Angeles, I feel like I'm at home. But what's been the biggest adjustment for you going to L.A. and walking into that Rams organization? Um, I think the biggest adjustment has just been, like, uh, the routine. Um, you know, when you've been in a place for 10 years, you create a certain routine, a certain, like, feel – um, whether it's treatment, whether it's um, the food that you eat, places that you visit, things that you do um, during the week to kind of get yourself ready. Um, you know, that was probably one of the biggest things is just getting used to, um, you know, kind of doing things differently than you've, you know, done. Because I'm a, 
I'm pretty particular about my routine. And so, like, I had to create a whole new routine when I got into L.A. Um, and then outside of that, it's just getting back used to traffic because traffic right. is crazy out here. Yeah, you got to time it out a little bit differently in L.A. than anywhere else. And, you know, that stretch that you had between your return to Seattle, a game against the Seahawks, and then the following Thursday against the Raiders, like four days later, you had 21 tackles, two sacks, you picked off a pass. You know, you hear athletes all the time talk about being in the zone. Did you feel it all during those two games, like you were in the zone against the Seahawks and against the Raiders? Yeah, I just felt, you know, really locked in. I think, um, you know, especially going into the Seahawks game, we had, you know, a lot of – we've been, you know, unfortunately hit with the the injury bug. And, you know, we had a lot of key guys down and even AD being down that game. And so, you know, I think I just was wanted to provide a spark. And then um, I think, too, just – you wanted to kind of build that momentum. Like we had, I felt like we had a good momentum. Um, we played Seattle. We just didn't um, close the game out. And we tried to bring that same energy into the Raiders game, which I felt like we did. But this time, you know, we were able to to close the game out, you know, obviously with the, with the help of Baker. So, What was that Seahawks game like for you? Because I know going in, you said all the right things, right? You talked about it being just another game on the schedule, just the next game. But – that had to mean a little bit more, right? Being out there in, in front of the fans that used to cheer for you in Seattle, in front of the 12s against that organization. What was that like? And how do you anticipate that game playing out for you twice a year, every year against Seattle now that you're in LA? Um, I mean, I still believe that. I still believe that, you know, it was just, it wasn't really just saying the words. Like it was just a game. Um, I think the difference was, is when you get into the game, was different than any other game is you're playing against people that you had been around for a really long time, whether it's the coaching staff or the players. And so, um, you know, they know how to push certain buttons, just like you know how to push certain buttons. And so all it took was, you know, DK or Tyler or somebody talking a little trash. And, you know, you just had to remind them that they still the youngest. And, um, you know, it made the game fun. I think, you know, um, there was a lot of trash talk and things like that. It just reminded me of like, you know, practices, like how we used to practice back in the day. And so, um, you know, it, it was a fun game. It was a game that I would have loved to come out with the, with the win, um, you know, but I, I thought the love was good and it was just, it was fun. Are you a trash talker too? I, I can't imagine somebody, you know, talking smack to you and you just, you know, turning the other cheek in a game. Um, I definitely let, let it be known. I don't. <laughs> Bobby, I you really, played in I the really same team. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it's it's who says it last, right? And, and you know, you've played on the same defense with two of the top young corners in the league. You've been around Jalen Ramsey every single day now since you've been in Los Angeles. How does he compare to Richard Sherman? Are, are those two guys on the same level as far as cornerbacks? How do they compare? I mean, I think they're both um, they're both really good corners and they really they played the, the corner position at an extremely high level um i think it's hard to compare the two because the schemes is different the play style is different um you know but i i, I think they're both really good corners and they, they both you know cemented their legacy um Jayla's still building his but sherm definitely cemented his legacy as, as one of the best corners and while we're talking about trash talk who's the bigger trash talker jalen or, or richard um, that's hard to compare because I had way more experience with Richard. Like Richard's trash talk with outside of 
of football. You know, we would talk trash, um, you know, at his house. We would talk trash pretty much everywhere. So it's kind of hard to compare those two because I had my, my history with Sherm is well beyond, um, you know, football. It's basketball. It's ping pong. It's um, pretty much everything. So I'll probably have to say Sherm. There you go. Is there anybody on your defense right now in L.A. that's kind of flying under the radar that doesn't get talked about enough and might be that that next superstar in the NFL? Uh, I think Ernest Jones is definitely one that, um, you know, I think people mention a little bit, but, you know, I think he's going to continue to grow into a special player in this league. And, you know, you're entering Monday night's game with 111 tackles, right? But one of your most impressive of the season was when you decked that fan who ran on the field in San Francisco on Monday Night Football. I don't know if you saw it because obviously you were playing in the game, but afterwards it became like the biggest meme ever on Twitter and social media. Take me through that moment. Um, I just think you saw a fan running on the field with something, and um, I, I looked across and I saw security. Um, looked like they were having trouble with trying to get him. And one of the security members actually got hurt. And so I just tried to, to lend a little helping hand. <laughs> you certainly did that. Uh, Bobby, one more time, let everyone know where you can find out more about Bud Light's perfect present. Uh, basically, to enter a chance to, to win the perfect present, fans can tweet um, hashtag Bud Light present and hashtag sweepstakes at Bud Light. Um, or they can visit at Bud Light on Twitter to learn more. He's Bobby Wagner. All-pro linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams. Make sure you check out Bud Light and Bud Light's perfect present program ahead of the NFL's first ever Christmas Day triple header. Bobby, appreciate the time, my man. Look forward to talking to you further up the road, and best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you. I appreciate it. Great stuff there from Bobby Wagner. And I'm telling you, one of the funnier moments of the NFL season is when he tackled that fan on Monday Night Football in San Francisco who ran out onto the field. Just a bizarre moment, but it's really been kind of a bizarre season for the Rams coming off that Super Bowl win, coming off of a really great year and in a season where general manager Les Snead kind of sold their soul up the river sold their future up the river for a Super Bowl by trading for Matthew Stafford, dealing away all of those picks. It, it, it worked. They got the ring. They got the Lombardi trophy. But this has been one of the more disappointing teams of anyone across the NFL. And I give Bobby Wagner a lot of credit because if you watch him on a down-by-down basis, if you put on the film, if you put on the tape, he looks like he's playing for an 11 or 12 win football team. And I think that that's where if you're the Rams, there's not a whole lot to like about this year. There's not a whole lot to be excited about this year, especially after what happened on Monday night in Green Bay. And certainly without Matthew Stafford down the stretch here, it, it certainly throws a monkey wrench into evaluating some of the young players and all of those things. But one thing to be excited about for the future, if I'm the Rams, it's Bobby Wagner and that defense. And speaking of the future, In a lot of ways on Sunday afternoon in Tampa Bay, we saw Tom Brady pass the baton to a new era of elite NFL quarterbacks. Yes, I know it was Joe Burrow on the other side. And if you've watched this podcast, if you paid attention to this show, if you follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL, you know how I feel about Joe Burrow, that I wholeheartedly believe that Joe Burrow is the next Tom Brady. He doesn't have the ring yet. Went to a Super Bowl last year, his first full season as a starter coming off of that injury. I think he has multiple Super Bowl trips on the horizon. And I wrote about this on Monday in my 10 takeaways column from Sunday. Go read it at heavy.com. Burrow received the baton from Tom Brady. 
But what Tom Brady did in, in that effort in losing to the Bengals, being outplayed in all aspects by Burrow, in a lot of ways, the baton has been passed from the old guard of quarterbacks, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers's, the Russell Wilson's, the elite quarterbacks of yesteryear, Peyton Manning certainly before that, now in the Hall of Fame, to the new era of Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence, and that guy with an MVP already on his mantle, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. What happened on Sunday to me was pretty symbolic. It was a generational handoff, a generational throw from one era of quarterbacks to the next. And I know in the game itself, the Bengals offense wasn't perfect, but Joe Burrow threw four touchdowns, tying his season high. And when you think about Cincinnati's upward trajectory, you think about where the Bengals are right now, where they're headed in the most important stretch of the season with the playoffs coming and them playing the best football of their season, Burrow's tossed 14 touchdowns during the Bengals' six-game winning streak with only four interceptions over that span. So Joe Burrow has really played his way into the upper echelon of that MVP conversation. He brought the Bengals back from down 17 to nothing, and in Brady's career at home, in home games where he leads 17 to nothing, he entered Sunday, Brady did 89-0. He left 89-1. and And beyond Tom and Joe, this new quarterback, this new class of quarterbacks, this new generation of quarterbacks is taking center stage. Aaron Rodgers seems like he's at the end of the line. I know they came back on Monday night. I know that it's a win and keep winning and you get in situation in Green Bay, but Aaron Rodgers looks like the wheels are falling off. It looks like the end of the line for Aaron Rodgers, if not this year, in very short order. Russell Wilson certainly faded. Certainly looks like father time has caught up to him. But I think when you look at this era that's now just beginning, Patrick Mahomes already with one Super Bowl ring, two Super Bowl appearances. Joe Burrow, one Super Bowl berth, looks really capable of leading another run based on how he's playing and how his team is playing right now. Josh Allen, maybe the most physically imposing of this bunch, one of the more multifaceted quarterbacks who can beat you a number of ways with arm strength, escapability. Tua Tagovailoa can go toe-to-toe with Josh Allen, beat him in Miami, really ascending with an elite set of playmakers in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and a brilliant offensive-minded head coach with Mike McDaniel, who took the Bills to the brink. We'll get into that a little bit later. Jalen Hurts, I look at Jalen Hurts, I think he's the next Peyton Manning. I really do. You look at the decision-making, it's improved pre-snap. His decision-making going through his reads has been quicker and sounder as this season and is going along. He gets better week by week, certainly season by season. And I would take Jalen Hurts over 25 quarterbacks, 27 quarterbacks in the NFL today. He's in that conversation. And Trevor Lawrence has an insanely high ceiling. And he's getting better every single week. He might be the next Andrew Luck as his floor. That's this generation of quarterback play. These are the quarterbacks who are going to lead the NFL into that next era. And they're showing out every single week. So while I think that Burrow and the Bengals are legitimate Super Bowl contenders, while I think that Joe Burrow has the highest ceiling in terms of championships of anyone because he has the best mechanics in the game, because he's one of the brightest minds in the game, because he has an all-world supporting cast with Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and two really great running backs. I think he has the highest ceiling of any of them. But you can't go wrong starting a franchise with any of these young quarterbacks. 
you're going to be in the mix if you have one of these franchise quarterbacks. And like we talked about in the previous weeks, the disparity between the NFC and the AFC is, is insane. But if you have one of these quarterbacks, whether it's Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, Tua, Hurts, Trevor, Lamar, you're in the mix. And that's what this generation of quarterbacks is going to be. They are going to be the ones battling it out in the postseason year after year after year and in Super Bowls for years to come in a very similar way, in a very similar fashion to Tom Brady and Peyton Manning over the years, to Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson over the years. It's a new era of quarterbacks in the NFL, and it's led by some really, really bright young stars. And one team that looks like it's not so bright right now, that the future certainly isn't bright, is the New England Patriots. And it really feels like Bill Belichick has lost control of that team. Arguably the greatest coach of all time, certainly the greatest coach of his generation, up there with Vince Lombardi and Chuck Knoll for sure. But the Patriots are an undisciplined football team all of a sudden. What the hell was Jacoby Myers thinking on that backwards lateral to Mac Jones on the final play of the game? I've been watching football for 25 years. I've never seen anything like that. It was the most bizarre singular play and end of game moment that I think I've ever seen. You can put that Jacoby Myers throwback right alongside Leon Lett in the Super Bowl. You can put it right alongside Deshaun Jackson fumbling at the one-yard line, celebrating prematurely. And I think that what we saw was the very reason why Bill Belichick banned any player, not the quarterback, not Tom Brady, not Jimmy Garoppolo, from throwing the ball. Certainly, they didn't throw flea flickers in New England for half a decade. They're a mess. And in that situation, Stevenson, the running back, needs to realize the game is tied. You don't need to throw a hook and ladder when it's tied. You're going to overtime. If anything, Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia and Joe Judge made a fatal error by even going forward in that situation. Just kneel down, get into overtime, live to play another day. The, the Raiders had blown four second-half leads going into that game, four double-digit leads this season. They would have been five. You had them on the ropes. Yeah, they came back to tie it, but you had them on the ropes. Chances are you go to overtime, you're going to win that game. They're the more talented team, the better coach team. But they're a mess right now. I've never seen anything like the end of that game on Sunday. And then Monday night. I'm, I'm not sure if, if you have NFL players who saw that too and saw the highlights and somehow it got stuck in their brains. But Rasul Douglas intercepts Baker Mayfield in the fourth quarter in plus territory down near the, the end zone. And he laterals it backwards. For no reason, the Packers are winning that game. It's the fourth quarter. It's not an end-of-game situation. What are you doing? If I'm an NFL coach around the league today, I am meeting with my players and saying, under no circumstances, under no circumstances, under no situation whatsoever, maybe at the very end of the game where we're losing, and that's the design play call, are we lateraling the ball around? We're done here. There's way more downside, too much downside risk, not enough to gain by throwing it around the way Jacoby Myers did, costing them that game. And good for Chandler Jones, by the way. Really down season for Chandler Jones. I think he's been one of the more disappointing offseason acquisitions by any team. That's a moment he'll never forget. Taking that interception, whatever you want to call it, fumble recovery on the lateral and, and planting Matt Jones six feet under with the fist bump, with, with, with the stiff arm all the way en route to the end zone for the game-winning score. Yeah, that's a moment he's never going to forget. It's a big moment for the Raiders, and it's a head-scratching moment for the New England Patriots. And I think that when you look at the hierarchy of the AFC right now, the Buffalo Bills really are what the New England Patriots used to be. All, all due respect and, and, and apologies to the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, I think the Bills 
are the runaway favorite team to beat in the AFC, the number one seed right now, and rightfully so. But Saturday night in Buffalo, it was one of the more telling contests of the entire NFL season. I think we learned more about both of those teams and the state of the AFC in that game than we have from any singular game across the league all season. Because in a lot of ways, with Tua and that strangling, stifling, swarming defense, the Dolphins proved that they belong, that they're legitimate contenders. They were about 13 minutes away from winning that game. If Josh Allen doesn't throw to the pass interference call with 30 seconds left down along the five-yard line, that thing goes to overtime in a blizzard, and all bets are off at that point. They showed in Buffalo that they belonged, and the Bills really proved why home field advantage is so vital to them in the postseason. Because when you look at what the Dolphins did, they sacked Josh Allen twice in some pretty big spots, forced a couple of turnovers. They took a 29-21 to 21 lead with 12 minutes to go. They very nearly closed this thing out in light snow conditions, in the cold, in the wind. And Tua made a couple of throws, the, the one down the middle to Jalen Waddle. The ball might have took a little bit to get there, but then Waddle turned on the after jets and he was gone. If either one of those receivers gets behind the secondary in the postseason, it's lights out. And Tua showed in those conditions, let alone in ideal conditions, that he can make that throw, that he can make a team pay for blown coverages like that. The Dolphins are for real. And you talk to people inside the league, they were impressed by what they saw from the Miami Dolphins going into that environment, into those conditions, and taking the Bills to the brink. But again, just like they did on Thanksgiving, Josh Allen and the Bills proved that until there are four zeros on the clock, it's not over. That if you leave 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute for Josh Allen, he's going to come back and beat you in a lot of ways, whether it's running the ball, whether it's with big throws, the throw that he made at the end of the half to James Cook on the touchdown, running out of bounds and firing across his body across the field to Cook for the score to extend the lead going into halftime. Yeah, that, that showed me something. That was the type of throw that justifies and legitimizes why Josh Allen is a front runner, one of the front runners in the MVP race. And he's certainly a reason why the Bills are the team to beat in the AFC right now. But again, you want to talk about home field advantage and why it matters? Look at how that game played out on Sunday, on Saturday night. Not only with the fans throwing snowballs at the Dolphins players, and 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 by the way, the Bills invited that when they just cleared the field and they sent Bill's Mafia into that stadium without clearing out the seats, when they left piles of snow in the bleachers, what did you think would happen? When you have a night game in Buffalo after you've had 12 hours to tailgate and get all lubed up going into that game, what did they think was going to happen with that fan base with all of that snow lying around? They weren't asking for it. But you look at how that game played out. And it was just windy and cold, western New York night, brutal. And then it started to snow a little bit, snowed a little bit more. And you saw the game-winning field goal try, the offensive linemen using their hands, using their feet, doing whatever they could to clear out the spot for the field goal to win the game as time expired. You know, I follow a few different Bills reporters and national reporters on Twitter who were in Buffalo for that game. And in the 45 minutes, an hour afterwards, these guys and these girls, they were tweeting out photos that looked like they were feet of snow on the field an hour after the game. Imagine 
how that plays out in January in the playoffs if that happens during the game. And that's a very real possibility. And few teams are built to withstand that. Few teams are built to survive winning in the snow, in that kind of snow. And Allen was unbelievable. 304 yards, four touchdowns. He ran for 77 yards. The, the guy just does it all. I don't know that I would want to deal with that, that quarterback play. Someone who can beat you with his legs as effortlessly and effectively as he can with his arm in those sort of brutal conditions where you're playing in a snow globe, in a blizzard, in a hostile environment with the fans. Good luck. But it really looks like that's where things are trending in the AFC if the Bills can close it out. And over in the NFC, you know, everybody knew what the Bills were, right? Well, a lot of us picked the Bills to go to the Super Bowl was one of the teams to beat in Buffalo. But there's a real surprise brewing in the NFC. And it's a team that we've all, myself included, you know, undervalued going into the year, kind of rode off in the middle of the year, and injuries have certainly taken a toll, and inconsistent quarterback play has been a bit of an issue. But the New York Giants, Brian Dable's New York Giants just continue to defy expectations. And right now, after going into the nation's capital on Sunday night and beating the Commanders, they're in the driver's seat to make the playoffs. And this is really fascinating because I'm not so sure what that means for their future. I'm not so sure where the Giants go beyond this season because they have two really difficult and monumentally important decisions to make when it comes to Daniel Jones's future and Saquon Barkley's. Because on one hand, Daniel Jones only threw for 160 yards against the Commanders, but they won the game. If you broaden out and look at Daniel Jones's entire season, on one hand, he's only thrown four interceptions. It's a career low by far. And it's the lowest interception total among any quarterback who started every game this year. But on the other hand, he's only thrown 12 touchdowns. So what do you do? The Giants already decided not to pick up his fifth-year option. Do you franchise him? Do you pay Daniel Jones $28 million? I don't know that you bring him back, but if he leads the Giants to a playoff win, which seems very feasible the way that defense is playing, the way Saquon Barkley is playing, the way that they're manufacturing and finding ways to win games, if Daniel Jones leads the Giants to a playoff game, a playoff win, you kind of have to bring him back, right? And the Giants, they, they have a real chance here. They have a real chance to make the postseason in Brian Dable's first year as the head coach, which if that happens, boy, the conversation for coach of the year gets really interesting because I still believe Nick Sirianni has done more in terms of managing all of the egos, all of the personalities, and getting everyone to buy in in Philadelphia. I still think that what Dan Campbell has done over the second half has been Nothing short of monumentally impressive when you think about starting one and six and now you're seven and seven. Knocking on the doorstep of the postseason yourself with Jared Goff at quarterback and getting the best quarterback play that he's had of his career out of him, Dan Campbell's in that conversation as well. But the adversity the Giants have had to overcome and the ebbs and flows of that season that have just been really remarkable. Brian Dable deserves coach of the year consideration, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But the Giants, if they make the postseason, if they win a playoff game, they're going to have some really, really difficult decisions to make with two of their biggest stars, two of their most important players, and one 
with Daniel Jones at the most important position in all of sports. But within that same division, I still don't think we know what the Dallas Cowboys are because that was a very good Jaguars team on Sunday afternoon that beat Dallas, but it was a really bad loss for the Cowboys. Every time that it looks like the Cowboys are emerging as a real threat in the NFC, a team that can knock off the Eagles and make a run at a Super Bowl, something like Sunday happens. And talk about a collapse. My goodness. Dallas led that game 27 to 10. And then Trevor Lawrence happened. Trevor goes 17 of 25 in the second half, 223 yards, three second half touchdowns. And the Jaguars defense seals the deal in overtime. I, I watched that game. And, you know, you look at Zay Jones, a lot of people question that signing. A lot of people wondered just what kind of an impact he would make in Jacksonville. Caught two touchdowns. Zay Jones had a great game coming out party. The Jaguars defense clamped down. Just an impressive showing on all fronts by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And after everything that happened, both in that game, in the second half, and across the country in Los Angeles, with Justin Herbert's really surgical game-winning drive against the Titans, the Jaguars are the team to beat in the AFC South. And I talked to an AFC scout who told me that he thinks right now, after Ryan Tannehill got banged up, after the loss to the Chargers, and after the way that the Jaguars have played with Trevor Lawrence ascending over the last four or five weeks, the Jacksonville is his pick to win the division and go to the postseason out of that AFC South mess. But from a Dallas perspective, this is the second week in a row that Dak Prescott has looked really wobbly. There are games and there are moments where Dak Prescott looks like a top 10 quarterback in this league. And then there are games like Sunday. Then there are interceptions like the end of the game in overtime that Prescott threw. And right now, I'd put the 49ers ahead of the Cowboys in the NFC. People laugh, but I'd probably put the Vikings in their ability to close out games right now. Heck, you want to talk about closing out a game, coming back from 33 to nothing down. Largest comeback in the history of the sport. I know Matt Ryan helped. But coming back from that deficit and winning the amount of games that they have this season by one score or less, to me, that shows some championship character. I would put the Vikings and that championship ability, that closing ability, late in games, finding ways to win above the Dallas Cowboys right now. And I know the Cowboys have an elite defense, sure. There's a lot of talent there. Jaron Curse, Trevon Diggs, Micah Parsons, probably the defensive player of the year. But we might not even know what the Cowboys are after this week. Because on paper, Eagles-Cowboys was going to be one of the biggest games of the entire season. But now with Jalen Hurts potentially out, we don't know his availability as of yet, but possibly out with the right shoulder sprain. You might be looking at Gardner Minshew at quarterback. And if you're the Eagles, how much of your playbook do you really want to show at this point in that game, especially when you might see this team later on? You might see Dallas in the postseason. How much do you want to put on tape against them this week when all you need to do is win one of your last three and you have the number one seed and home field advantage locked up through the playoffs? I'd even consider resting the starters this week, playing them the following week. Yeah, if Jalen Hurts can't go, I don't know that I would go all out in this game if I were Philadelphia. But this is not the barometer game that we expected it to be for the Dallas Cowboys. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, sure. But to me, Dallas is more of an enigma than ever. What are they? Are they a team that's going to 
turn it on and clamp down defensively and force a bunch of turnovers. And you're going to have an offense led by a two-headed running attack of Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott shortened games. Are you going to put the ball in Dak Prescott's hands and make him beat you when the last two weeks? Sure, you had the game-winning drive against the Texans. Also through the pick down near the goal line that kept the Texans alive. Sure, got off to a fast start against the Jaguars through a back-breaking, game-ending, game-losing interception in overtime. We're going to find out what the Cowboys are, but probably not until the postseason. Let's give out the Lombardo Trophy. You know the deal. Each and every week, we award the Lombardo Trophy to the team, position group, or player that made the biggest impact on his team that week. And I don't know how you look anywhere else other than Saturday afternoon's epic meltdown by the Indianapolis Colts, the largest collapse in the history of the NFL. Now, I know Matt Ryan played a key role in this. Obviously, now he owns 33 to nothing and 28 to three, the biggest collapse in Super Bowl history and now the largest collapse in NFL history. But on the other side, Kirk Cousins, you look at what he did being instrumental in the Vikings coming back in that game through for 460 yards, four touchdowns, and led the Vikings back with 32 unanswered points in the second half in overtime. I don't know how you make a bigger impact than that. And Kirk Cousins, after the game, Peter King had a great note in his Football Morning in America column that Frank Reich, who there's so much irony in this collapse by the Colts, not only that it was Matt Ryan on the other end of it, but Frank Reich was the head coach who was fired in the middle of the season, who was the quarterback of the previous largest comeback in NFL history on wildcard weekend in 1993 when he was the backup quarterback of the Bills, leading them all the way back against the Houston Oilers in a game nicknamed The Comeback. Well, Kirk Cousins was on the other end of a game that could go down as The Collapse. And in Peter King's column, he noted that Frank Reich texted Kirk Cousins to congratulate him on that comeback win. Well, we're going to congratulate Kirk Cousins for taking home the Lombardo Trophy. All right, it's time for the pick of the week. Now, obviously, an exciting weekend ahead. Some games with major playoff implications. We talked about Philadelphia and Dallas. You have the Saturday night Christmas Eve game with the Raiders and the Steelers, both in the mix, both still very much alive somehow for the postseason. An interesting game that I think has really interesting ramifications for both teams, both Kansas City's chances of winning the number one seed in the AFC that they have to have, and the Seahawks to keep any hope of the postseason alive in Seattle. Really fascinating game. The Seahawks are getting nine and a half points in Kansas City. But I know that Patrick Mahomes looked otherworldly in Houston on Sunday, completing all 19 of his passes in the second half in overtime, leading the Chiefs back. But Seattle, they have the extra day of rest. They, they played last Thursday night against the San Francisco 49ers. I, I know that they lost that game, but it's a bounce-back situation. And every game from here on out for Pete Carroll, Geno Smith, and the, C, the Seattle Seahawks, it's a playoff game. It, they need to win out just to have any hope of getting in. Now, I know that 9.5 is a huge number. I don't think they win the game outright. But you know on the pick of the week, we go for covers. And I think Seattle covers this one with the nine and a half. So give me Seattle as the pick of the week. And if you're riding with me, if you're taking the Seahawks, screenshot your pick of the week, your bet that you make at FanDuel. We'll retweet you. You can tweet me at Matt Lombardo NFL, and we'll mention you making your pick on the show next week. And this has been a really fun show. 
Thanks, of course, to Bobby Wagner for joining us. Great conversation as always. I hope everyone has a fantastic holiday between Christmas and New Year's. Happy Hanukkah to everybody who celebrates. And you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker. Throw us a like on YouTube. Leave us those five-star reviews. And we'll talk to you next week on the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports.